today we are talking to another industry expert. We've got Martin Bridges from Worcester Bosch. Worcester Bosch, you make those lovely boilers. So we've had a few um, videos talking about future technology and, and this story that went around that gas boilers are going to be banned, that they'll be no longer allowed. Your business is boilers. So what do you say? Well, you're right. Yeah, we're better known as a boiler manufacturer, gas and oil boiler manufacturer. We do sell alternative technologies, heat pumps and solar, but it's, it's tiny amounts really compared to boilers. And yes, to get to net zero carbon by 2050, then we must remove or reduce the carbon emissions from heating and hot water. So there are two or three alternatives to gas, oil, coal, which have been floated. Electric heat pumps is one, probably the main one. That, that's got a lot of vocal support. And Boris, in his 10-point plan, even announced that by 2028, they would like to see 600,000 heat pumps a year installed, which is an extremely ambitious figure. And the other things on the table, really, is uh, hydrogen gas and bio oils if you're off the gas grid. I suppose the most interesting one really is the hydrogen gas topic. And we've got talking to Bayes, uh, as they like to have it pronounced, the Government Department Bayes, in 2015. And they had identified hydrogen as a carbon-free green gas and asked if it was possible to create a boiler that would run from hydrogen and we did uh, and we fired it in December 2017. We didn't even have a hydrogen storage facility at our laboratories in Worcester. We had to go to Cheltenham, about 30 miles down the road, to a test house which did. We basically got a natural gas boiler and 95% of the components within it are reused in this hydrogen boiler and it is true, it generates zero carbon monoxide and zero carbon dioxide. That's great if you've got a source of hydrogen and those people down in Cheltenham obviously have but <laughs> the rest of us haven't how do we get hydrogen to our houses I mean you didn't do this for fun did you you did this because you thought this would be possibly a viable you know form of heating to replace gas boilers in the future and you're going to make your boilers hydrogen ready is that is that correct but yeah, there's a, there was a lot of scepticism about it. So it was felt we had to create a prototype which would convince people that a boiler in its current size, its physical dimensions and all of its performance um, could be achieved. So getting the hydrogen, that, that's the, an interesting topic. We do <laughs> have a, a wonderful gas structure here. Apparently, we have 136,000 miles of natural gas pipework zigzagging its way, you know, up the road through cul-de-sacs, etc., uh, yeah. throughout the country. And it's got a public asset value of £40 billion. Pounds. So if you were to start again, that's how much it will cost you to do it. Yeah. And we've got something like 85% of all properties in the UK connected to a natural gas pipe. Yeah. So the energy minister at the time, she was interviewed. She said, well, you must think we're, we're stupid if we're going to disconnect this fantastic infrastructure and let it rot under the ground. Yeah. We're going to repurpose it. So hydrogen, it has, it can be created from two, two or three sources. The one which doesn't come out too great is the one which we're likely to use uh, mostly should the green light be given. So that's the steam reformation of natural gas or methane. So it's a chemical process using methane 
The downside is when you do this, you still have carbon dioxide and carbon, uh, just carbon dioxide rather, emissions. So you have to capture this carbon and they call the process carbon capture use and storage. So you capture it at the point where you've created the hydrogen and literally you have to dispose of it. And the present way of thinking uh, throughout the world is you sort of bury it in disused pipelines, salt caverns, under the ground, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Basically the north of England. <laughs> <laughs> you same, old, same old, same old, isn't it? All no, the people just, in the south get a benefit. And the you're just in the brushing the problem away, uh, is their <laughs> belief. The other method is um, electrolysis of water. Uh, yeah. And that's a green hydrogen. The one I mentioned before is blue. Why they've given them these colours, I'm not sure. But green yeah. clearly is a zero carbon way of creating hydrogen. If you are using electricity from on or offshore wind or even nuclear to uh, generate the uh, electricity required for this process. Martin, is that huge, the amount of electricity you need? I'm more experienced at the other end of the pipe, where it goes yeah. to somebody's house than at the yeah. generation side. Yeah. But okay. yes, the water and electricity uh, quantities are quite high. Yeah. But once you've created it, and you could do that locally, I know of one project we're involved with in Leavenmouth in Fife, and Scottish Gas or Scotia Gas Networks, have, uh, they're converting 300 properties over to hydrogen. So they have a local uh, electrolyzer and they're using onshore and offshore wind. So this is a really good news story. It's very green. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've, they've actually buried a hydrogen pipe down the road, literally side by side with the current natural gas pipe. And they've offered the tenants to opt in or not to a hydrogen way of living. Got it. And they will have a cooker, uh, a fire if they have a gas fire, and of course uh, a boiler um, to, which would again, of course, create zero carbon. I'm not going to quiz you then too much on the actual getting the gas down the pipe because, as you say, you your your business starts at the boiler. And um, I know there's some issues with getting it down the pipe. In other words, they reckon that it uses about a quarter of the energy to pump the hydrogen down the pipe. And it may well be that we're talking about a mixture of hydrogen and natural gas at some point in the future, which may be the way to go. But just let me ask you this. Apparently, the hydrogen flame, when it burns, is invisible. Is that right? It is, yes. It's right. uh... So when we stick that little gas fire on, what do we do there? We don't well, see the flame. Exactly. It was one of the challenges we had, that the uh, actually igniting the burner and sensing that the flame was alight were two of the issues we had to uh, overcome with a boiler. Traditionally, with a natural gas or LPG boiler, we ignite the flame with a spark electrode and we sense that the flame is alight by passing a, an electron flow through two electrodes. And if the flame is embracing both of these electrodes, the flame will conduct the electron from one probe to the other. That tells the control system, it's okay, the f there is a flame here, keep the gas valve open and just, you know, bring it up to temperature. With hydrogen, it doesn't have any carbon in the flame, uh, so it can't do that. So we had to ignite the flame similarly with a spark electrode. 
but then sensed that the flame was alight with a UV cell, an ultraviolet oh, cell. Yeah. It's not so much an issue with a boiler because you can't see the flame anyhow. It's behind the casing and you, yeah. know, you don't look for it. Cool. Yeah. But with a cooker and a fire, yeah, that's pretty critical. Um, I've only seen a cooker working and that uh, where the hob is, um, they have like a ceramic shroud uh, roughly where the um, hot plate would be or the, whatever yeah. the description is where the flame would come out. So yeah. the flame is passing past this shroud, which adds a colorant and a oh. picture to the flame. That's clever. It's yeah. probably the same with the fire as well. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can artificially induce. Yeah, yeah. okay, I understand. Yeah. So yeah, the flame also, is it is it a steady flame or is it a little bit wobbly? Is it a bit erratic? No, it's it's fairly steady. It's, um, it's one of the difficulties with the boiler was also that the flame speed of hydrogen is something like seven times that of natural gas. So it's trying to burn backwards, back down the pipe, rather like, you know, the old-fashioned uh, cowboy films oh, with a yeah. <laughs> stick of dynamite and the fuse on it. I know, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one of our issues. I'm sure cooker and fire manufacturers have to have the same, to balance the flame speed of the hydrogen, trying to burn back downward, back down the pipework. Mm. Um, we had to find the sweet spot. So you had to balance the airflow into the boiler and get the flame to sit, you know, precisely on the burner like you want it to do. So it was a lot of just test work, literally. Mm. Uh, and now we've we sort of we've definitely perfected that because um, we fitted a number of them, but the first one we fitted off-site was on the twenty-second of September last year, uh, okay. and that was um, at uh, RAF Spade Adam. So this okay. is the Northern Gas Networks and the DNVL site. Uh, and we have one of our boilers in one of these three houses. And there's a backseat boiler in the other end house. Yeah. And the middle house is actually heated by our boiler as well. But, you know, it's nice to see other manufacturers also um, seeing yeah. the opportunity here. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, whether you did all this research on your own or whether you actually had a bit of a, a collaboration with somebody like Leesman and, and Baxi and so on. Because I know, I think I'm right in saying that they've also got some kind of carbon thing going as well, have they, Leesman? Yeah. Um, everybody have done is done their Sorry, own carbon. Thing. I'm sorry. Hydrogen. Sorry, I didn't mean carbon. Hydrogen. Meant hydrogen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, everybody has done their own thing. We've collaborated on industry committees and helped write standards and training requirements together. Mm. But um, we've all done our own thing because there's no components on the market that were ready for hydrogen. You, you've even had to design and build your own components. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that will prompt burner manufacturers and heat exchanger manufacturers to enter this market. And yeah. Then the smaller manufacturers can then purchase these components and create their own boilers yeah. but the bigger groups like Baxi, Worcester, Wiesman, Valence we're in a fortunate position we have the facilities and the staff to be able to create our own things and then yeah. get them made yeah. but you're absolutely right in Germany they've now grasped the metal as well and, and they see a hydrogen economy being a, a real uh, very serious proposition and so Wiesman and Valence and other German manufacturers like Bosch have uh, got appliances ready to go. Yeah. What do you need from the UK government? Do you need them to press the button and say, 
go for it or what? Because obviously, I mean, I mean, I remember you wouldn't remember this. You're far too young, but I remember <laughs> when they when they changed over from town gas, coal gas to natural gas, and there was a massive gas conversion program underway. Every every gas fitter in the country was coining it, you know. So um, that was a massive thing that we undertook that as a yeah. country to change us over, and that actually only involved really changing over the burners and so on it wasn't it wasn't that much of a problem um but now of course if we change over to hydrogen we've got another similar conversion yep. issue haven't we you know challenge if you like so what, what happens there originally the city of leeds was proposed as the first major city to be converted to hydrogen the locality of it was correct. The grid, the shape of the grid was correct. It could be isolated from the rest of the country. So when we created a hydrogen boiler, uh, it was thought, well, that's great. Then we can go ahead and do this. And when you start thinking a bit more about the local economy and things, so if we were to change 57,000 homes in Leeds to hydrogen one year, then we've got, I don't know, thousands of heating engineers with no work for the next 15 years because everyone's got a brand new boiler. Yeah. Then, then you'd be throwing away probably, you know, some of the boilers you'd have to throw in the skip were like two years old. So yeah. that isn't very carbon friendly at all. Yeah. So that's why a hydrogen ready approach was taken so our boiler and probably most of the other manufacturers you can put it on the market sell it as hydrogen ready connect it though to the current gas supply and when hydrogen comes along in our case it's three components you have to change the burner the gas valve and a tiny little postage stamp sized printed circuit board 100 quids worth of components uh, and probably an hour of an engineer's time, and that's yeah. then running on 100% hydrogen. So the government uh, have consulted, they've been very good at this, in fairness, uh, for a change. They've consulted with us uh, <laughs> and the Because we know most things they get involved in turn to tears at some point. Yeah, they do, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> regrettably, before I go on, we've yeah. now got another energy minister who started her job on Monday. So a previous... Uh, incumbent of the seat, Quasi Quatang has been elevated and promoted, and he really got it. He got hydrogen, and uh, yeah. he uh. where the best place was. And so we, we start again. Um, but yeah, what we we think the government are likely to do is mandate from a date, and it's looking like 2025, 2026, that. Only hydrogen-ready boilers can be placed onto the market. Mm. The boiler sales annually are around 1.7 million a year. That's you and me, because our current boiler's had it. It's irreparable. You need a new one. So if they were to make everybody, when they needed a new one, buy a hydrogen-ready one, which is roughly the same cost when it's... Oh, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you whether you were going to stick a a premium on it. You think it's going to be roughly the same... Sort of it might be 50, 60 quid more, something like that, but it's roughly yeah. the same price. The customer would have had to have bought a new boiler anyhow, so the, the government haven't had to dip their hand in their pocket at all at this point. No, no. So after 10 years, we'd have 17 million homes populated with hydrogen-ready boilers, which will give us a good time to get the hydrogen production facilities up and running and town by town, street by street, 
start switching over uh, to ultimately 100% hydrogen. Mm. So the future looks good for gas. Like you say, they don't look like they're going to abandon that massive infrastructure we've got and, and do away with gas in favour of electricity. If we just talk about heat pumps for a moment, because sure. that would be the other option that people, a lot of people like the idea of heat pumps, but I've, I've had something to do with heat pumps. I've fitted a few and so on. And it, they're tricky because one thing you've got to integrate them into the existing heating system, your wet heating system. But the other thing is, unless you use air to air, of course, but the other thing is you've got this thing outside on your patio or on your wall or whatever, and it really just isn't viable for a huge number of houses to have these things sit in there, especially in flats and so on. Um, I think, personally, although they've got a place, they're not ever going to do what some government ministers think they will. Am I right or wrong? No, you're spot on. We've been selling heat pumps for 12 years, and, uh, yeah, we've had a very checkered experience with them. Uh, brand new properties where you're not inheriting existing heating systems and the insulation and things like that is good, uh, then they're pretty good. Yeah. But going into an existing home where there's been a gas or an oil boiler, that's very tough. And bays were a little torn on this. They were getting such conflicting advice from the industry. They had people like me... Uh, mm putting my point over, and I was being accused then of just preserving the boiler industry, of, of course. course. Yeah, yeah. And then As you he, are, of course. I'm ashamed of you looking after your yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> but th then you had heat pump manufacturers and a lot of academics, a lot of scientists also saying electricity is the only way. Hmm. So Bayes commissioned a trial because they didn't know who to believe. So last year, last July, a trial of 750 heat pumps uh, was paid for by Bayes. £14.6 million pound, uh, to fund it. Goodness. And they chose a few regions, but they chose one of the cities, which I thought was a good choice, was Newcastle. It's uh, a colder than average city, so it would put heat pumps to the test. Yeah. And the applications for this, for this free of charge heat pump, everything was free, remedial work, installation, the lot. And they had over 4,500 applicants. And after filtering through all of the applicants, surveying the houses, and then explaining to the householder, uh, this is what we're going to have to do, uh, they have only fitted 13. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> The entire country is that's, only... That's, that's giving them away, right? That's giving them away. They could only that's give giving away, them away. They could only give away 13. <laughs> and now, interestingly, um, the biggest problems they encountered were on homes which were built recently over the last 25 years. Oh. So that, yeah, Exactly. Those homes, you'd think the insulation and things like that would be good, and it is, no question. Hmm. But when they went to the homes, and I'm sure you fitted a few like this, virtually every radiator was sized, obviously, for a boiler and as yeah. tight as it could be. Yeah. But then the bigger problem was that virtually every radiator was fed from plastic microbore pipework hidden in the wall behind what the yeah. studded. Yeah, they drop it down on the dot and that behind the plasterboard now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and it looks rather nice, no problem. But, yeah, of course, yeah. that the diameter of that isn't big enough 
for a heat mm. pump, which has a higher velocity. Yeah, yeah. So when the homeowner was told, right, we've got to double the size of your radiators, that would, that's an issue most of the time, but not all the time. You could fit a double panel where a single one is, perhaps. You've only still only got a 10 mil pipe coming down to it. Precisely, yeah. yeah, yeah. When you've got a 15 mil pipe surface mounted now because you can't hide it. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got to get the floors up. And the floors, as you would know, are chipboard. Yeah. Uh, there are no floorboards in those houses. Mm. So the carpets have been glued down. You won't get the chipboard up in one go. No. Um, and the pipework under the floor, most of it, you probably have to take out anyhow because it would yeah. be off manifolds and things. So there's no such thing really in a newish build home of inheriting the existing heating system. The entire thing needs ripping out and putting in again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that, I mean, that sounds, sounds fairly damning in terms of, of heat pumps. I mean, it, it, that's a lot to overcome, isn't it? Apart from the fact that uh, my experience of heat pumps, and obviously, you know, I've had some experience with the Worcester ones as well as other ones, but very difficult if you've got gas. In fact, I had a you know a guy I was involved with. He insisted on changing over the heat pumps for a um, a community centre. And I tried to talk him out of it because he had a gas boiler. And I said, you really won't, over the course of a year, make any kind of saving using the heat pump over the gas boiler. But he insisted on going down that route. First season, he saw the bills and he saw that it just wasn't viable because they're great in the spring. They're great in the autumn. They're lovely in the summer, but um, in the depths of winter, you need a top up, don't you? You need the most heat pumps, yeah. even the even the really like people keep talking to me. They say, "Oh no, the new ones, the really efficient ones, they use a different refrigerant gas in them. They're much better." But I still don't think, in the depths of winter, like the last week, for example, that you're going to get everything out of a heat pump without having a a top up. Our external temperatures are ridiculously volatile. It isn't untypical to be scraping ice off your windscreen at seven o'clock in the morning and then mowing the lawn in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, they'll swing by 20 centigrade some days. Yeah. So it's like, how can a heat pump, which takes hours to react to a demand, uh, it must overheat or underheat the house in most instances. There's sort of volatility, if that's the right word, of external temperatures fluctuating by 20 centigrade from morning to the afternoon. Um, it's very tough for a heat pump, which is a slow reacting type of technology, to um, react to the that external air temperature. Um, you know, I've seen it like, like you've described, uh, the one you, you described there was an ex existing installation or existing property. I've even seen it in brand new homes, though. I got involved with one in Oxford, um, which was three years old, and the underfloor heating, uh, it was a beautiful house. The, the, the entirety of the ground floor was a nice, beautifully polished wooden floorboard type. Um, there was a Norwegian ward or something like that. It was quite yeah, a song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yes, yes. And all the homeowner did was put a rather thick uh, carpet or rug in the lounge on top of this flooring. Yeah. And that then insulated the underfloor heating from passing through the floorboards because that's mm -hmm. what it had been sized on the presumption of. Yeah, uh, it lagged it almost and kept the heat below. 
So the homeowner that then was advised, well, just turn the curve up on the heat pump controller. And they did so, and that resulted in a £3,000 winter quarter fuel bill because the heat pump's now running, you know, too hot, too inefficiently. Um, There is no... It's a very frail technology. It relies so much on the house and the system being perfect. And a boiler doesn't. It will just plough on through anything. Uh, Hence, uh, our... preferences in existing homes take a combi boiler out that's another issue actually but take a combi boiler out put another combi in and if you think of that there's 17 million homes with currently with a combi boiler in and Mm. therefore no hot water cylinder so that'd be interesting to go down coronation street and say right i need to nick your some of your bedroom or your landing (laughs) for a hot water cylinder you know it's just not that's that's amazing because the number of cylinders i've taken out so people can put a shower a free shower into their house oh i'd really love a shower we say well we'll put your combi boiler in and we use that space where your cylinder was for a shower to say lovely so now you say to him you've got to do away with your shower we're going to put your cylinder back in having said that can i just i'm going to this is probably i'm going to hijack this whole conversation now because i want to talk to you about something else which is cylinders horizontal cylinders in the loft which i've been a big fan of for years and years because when people do loft conversions they want to get rid of a cylinder that eaves cupboard is the perfect place to put an unvented horizontal cylinder so i really couldn't believe that so few manufacturers were doing a horizontal cylinder but the other thing is that the one that i really think is i can't understand why gas boilers have to be the shape and the size they are because the Germans look at us and go, what do you want a boiler in your kitchen for, for goodness sake? Now, if you talk to most people who have a small kitchen on a modern house and one cupboard is taken up with a boiler, they say, what do I need this? This is terrible. Now, the the kick space underneath the kitchen unit is a a long, narrow thing. And I'm thinking, why don't boiler manufacturers make a boiler that goes under your kick space or in some other place that you wouldn't use in your house rather than sticking it into a kitchen cupboard because there's a mania for you know everyone says oh look this boiler is so good it can fit inside a kitchen cupboard you're never going to see it i say that's great but what you want the kitchen cupboard anyway that's my little rant over and done with answer that if you will <laughs> I, I was thinking was, again spot on <laughs> There is also a wasted space above the row of wall-hung kitchen cupboards, generally. Absolutely. And underneath the bath panel. And and look at the success that Baxi had in the 70s with the back boiler. You know, millions of those were sold and there was, you know, didn't occupy it. You could hear the thing firing up, of course. But yes, we should get more creative. I know in Spain and Italy... Uh, obviously warmer climates, but they have uh, an awful lot of incasso boilers, they call them. So these are, um, they go on the balcony of the external wall, or they're a bit like an electric meter installation. You know, you can access them from outside, but they're sat in the cavity, really. So, yeah, it's just being brave to take the plunge, because technically it could it could happen. It, it, there's nothing stopping you being able to do this. Well, at one point there was because you had to have a natural draft for the boiler because you weren't using a fan. But now, of course, because everything's fanned through and heat exchanges have changed, you could have a long cylindrical 
heat exchanger that was a foot long, if you like, or two foot long, if you like. It wouldn't matter. And the flame is being fired in from one end and then yeah. going along it horizontally. Obviously, you need a bit of a tilt on it because you've got condensate dropping off it all the time. Needs to go back. But anyway, something along those lines. I think if you made that, that the world would beat a path to your door. But <laughs> I'm not. I'm not about to put any money into it. Um, well, I might. <laughs> but no, I, honestly, I just I've always thought that that was something that um, that we could do. But anyway, that was hijacking the conversation. We're talking about new energy, really, at the moment, rather than new shapes of boilers. But um, so heat pumps. I think we've fairly well dismissed heat pumps, haven't we? Basically, not dismiss them, but we put them in their place, put it there. In they have a right place to go, and that's generally new build. Yeah. So what else have we got left? We've got direct electricity left, haven't we? Which um, I remember I was talking to somebody the other day about Ronan Point, and that was where the gas explosion caused you know several floors of this new prefabricated building just built in, in the late 60s, and, of course, it blew apart. So then they said, we can't put gas in these buildings. It's just too dangerous. So they cut all the gas off and they gave everybody electric heaters. They changed all the gas cookers, the electric cookers. Everyone's got electric radiators in the houses, in these flats, you know, and so on. And um, they, they undertook a great program to get rid of the gas there, obviously. And within a year, most people had said, we can't afford to run these electric heaters. They're just <laughs> chewing up. The, you know, our bills have gone sky high. They weren't particularly well insulated, those high-rise flats anyway. Um, so they, they, they suddenly got these huge bills. So what did they do? Do you know what they did? How they got around this problem? Uh. They all started going buying Calagas heaters. <sighs> so, so we went from having one situation where some people say, get rid of the gas in the high-rise to everyone pumping in bottles of gas and changing them over in the flats. And you know what that's like, you know, with, with oh. LPG or whatever. So, so, um, so yeah, yeah. It, that, it was out of the frying pan into the fire, really. But yeah. this is the problem, isn't it? That when you're talking about, we, we've tried so many systems in the past, which have been economy seven and all those things where you've got nighttime storage radiators. And a lot of people saying our bills are still sky high. That's the problem. That the root cause really is that electricity today is roughly seventeen pence for a kilowatt hour, and gas is about five pence. Yeah, really, it's that much. Is that yeah? Different? And so, so, even if we'd say, if we looked at electricity as being a hundred percent efficient, and a gas boiler as being, say, let's say ninety percent efficient to yeah. be to be reasonable, then that wouldn't account for that price discrepancy, would it? No, not at all. And that's probably why heat pumps are looked upon favourably by the academics, because they give you roughly three to four times out what you put in. Yeah. So if you divide 17p by three, let's say, then it's roughly the same price as a kilowatt hour of gas. Yeah, yeah. At their best, though. That's the trouble with a heat pump <laughs> when you're talking about it when in the optimum condition and not when it's gone below zero and all the rest of it. So I just got to, I'll finish this little bit. And obviously if you've got to mop up with a few other observations, but um, the other thing is that you're still very much involved in oil boilers, aren't you? We are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For people that aren't on natural gas, that's, that's an obvious choice, isn't it? Yeah. There's about 1.3 million homes on oil. Uh, so it's, you know, smaller proportion, of course, than gas. There's 23 million on gas. 
but it's the first target the government have in their crosshairs. They came out with a, uh, I think it was called the Clean Growth Strategy in 2017. And it was an easy thing to commit to paper. They put down oil as the first fuel they'd like to remove from being used. Uh, And the first target was new build. And it was then that I thought, well, this is totally symbolic because there's virtually no boilers of oil going into new build properties. The only one... It's tight, you know, it is hundreds rather than anything else. Mm-hmm. And the ones that do have oil, it's generally, you know, very wealthy families who have an Arga cooker or some other fashion type appliance yeah. um, in their property. Yeah. So I then thought, well, that's going to contribute virtually nothing to the carbon emission reduction targets yeah. you've got. Yeah. You're just waving a flag a little bit here. But they have strengthened this. Um, vendetta, if you like, against oil. There's no question it's carbon emissions are higher than gas and electricity. Um, but the only, the only alternative they've placed on the table presently is a heat pump. And as we know, most oil homes are in the shires. They're ten, generally older, generally more leaking in ventilation and poorly insulated. They're down quite often in country lanes where the electricity supply is indifferent at best. Yeah. Um, and to actually, you know, have a 60 amp supply to fire up a heat pump, um, you, the lights would flicker when the heat pump starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in my colleagues in, in the Netherlands, where they ran out of gas literally and, and had to, not quite, but not far off, overnight go to oil or, or rather go to heat pumps. Um, rather than gas or oil, uh, they have power outages in certain villages and sort of enclaves where it just can't cope with uh, the electric demand. Really, yeah. So, this, was, this was my criticism. I was saying to people, how can we use our existing electrical grid, if you like, to, to power all these heat pumps and all this other stuff? And, of course, that's only the beginning of it. You know, they want us to, to go to electric for all kinds of things mm. so you know the, the the load on the the load on the on the national grid is going to be huge isn't it you know it's a major job maybe we'll, we'll run electric cables down all the old gas pipes maybe that's the answer <laughs> it, it is the problem though you literally would have to upgrade you know pylons uh, electrical subcircuits generation mm. facilities Somebody cleverer than me estimated that the electricity uh, cost to electrify everybody's home for heating and water would mm. be £400 billion, yeah. and for hydrogen, £140 billion. Oh, okay. So both huge sums of money, but one yeah. is a third of the other. And yeah. as we know, the customer satisfaction from the, the lower price one would be uh, considerably higher than the higher price one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But the other thing is, the other little factor that comes into this, which I think a lot of people didn't really think about, was, okay, you're going to change everyone to heat pumps, you're going to have to upgrade the electricity supplies for that, but then add the fact that you've got an electric car that you're bringing home in the evening and you're plugging into a 9-kilowatt or 7-kilowatt cable to... to top up your electric car so so suddenly your your demand goes probably over 100 amps basically you 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 know so 
So blowing fuses all over the place. So, so yeah, I mean, I think electric cars are a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I think it's all good, all of it. You know, I'm, I'm all for the, a greener future, but I think we have to be practical, don't we, really? How are we going to achieve it? And not that, just that is the major problem. The academics and the scientists have um, never really been in somebody's home and tried to do many of these things. Uh, no. um, and it, it, it's most frustrating because if money is no object, then everybody could have an underground swimming pool, couldn't they? But money yeah. is an object. Yeah, yeah. And once all these grants and things have dried up, then... Uh, to, well, let me give you the example of that heat pump trial that Bayes so far only had around 19 fitted. They, on average, have cost 20 grand for every installation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this doesn't you, surprise me. This is the way yeah. it goes, isn't it? I, I look at so many government schemes, and I really I feel for all manufacturers that get involved in an industry, in, in a product, that the government is giving a grant for because it kind of sets up a false parameter. It sets up, you know, unrealistic sort of profit yeah. margins. And then and then overnight, it's gone. You know, you get somebody coming in, let's get rid of all this green crap, and then you're back to, to square one and you've invested a huge amount. So I, I tread very carefully when it's the government involved in, like, the Green Deal and all those things, you know. Gosh, yeah. Well, there's yeah. been history there, the here-today, gone-tomorrow schemes of... Uh, you know, there's been the demise of the insulation business, which yeah. can't survive without grant funding. No, no, no. You know, there's nothing in it. I get the feeling if they started without grants and they built themselves on their own merits, that in the end, it may be better because, like, you know, I'm a big fan of solar thermal. You know, I fitted a Worcester solar thermal, you know, 20 years ago, I think. But, um, yeah. but people are always saying to me, well, how much money do you make on that? That's the thing. They're always, I'm going, look, I'll get free hot water, for goodness sake. I love it, you know. But but no, you've got to be feeding something back in the grid. You've got to be getting a check from somebody. Yeah. And that's how people look at all this green energy now. What can I make? You know, especially when you look at Northern Ireland and the whole thing with the wood pellet fiasco there, where you're actually getting a bigger subsidy than the cost of the pellet. So why wouldn't you burn them? Wood burners. What do you think about wood burners? Because I've I've had a wood burner for years as well, which um, which uh, they seem to be now the latest um, bogeyman or whatever. They they're they're a casualty. We, uh, as you're probably aware, we were selling uh, wood burners, uh, and within a year of us entering the market, because at one point there was two hundred thousand a year being sold. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, very popular, and strangely. Uh, Majority of those were in homes which were on the gas grid. There was yeah. a belief that it was all people living in the middle of nowhere, but no, there was a lot of inner city installations for a decorative yeah. perspective. Yeah. yeah. But within a year of us entering it, um, yeah, there were then uh, sort of localized legislation about particulates and clean air, and yeah. then the banning of wet logs being sold from garage forecourts. Um, so yeah, they're still on sale, but the the market is tiny to where it was. Some of that was probably again very scary headlines by the nationals, the banning of wood burners, you know, like they did with the banning of gas boilers. You'd be surprised how many people I have to reassure consumers. They ring up saying, "Is can I still have a gas fire boiler?" Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we have to write, ring, whatever, and confirm to them. Look, it's no problem. You, you can, you know. The, yeah, There's yeah. a lot to be said for some of the media headlines. Uh, yeah. Which well, we no, get. You, 
you're absolutely right. We we had somebody the other day on Ask Skill Builder, which is a, a scram we run, you know, giving advice to people. And they said, I'm just about to move into a new house. I need to put a new boiler in. Should I do this or should I go all electric? Because I hear that gas boilers are going to be banned. So they're looking and I'm saying, really speaking, within the life of that gas boiler that you're going to put in, you're not going to change over to all electric. It's not going to happen. So yeah. let's put the gas boiler in. I think you're going to get at least 10 years out of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be more than that, but, but that's what I said to, to Tim. Yeah. So, so just do that. Give yourself an easy life because you know it works. You know it produces the heat. And if you go all electric, you're going to have sky-high bills. So, so that's still been my advice to people to buy gas boilers, which is probably something comforting for you to hear, isn't it? Very much. And I, I get equal nervousness, though, with oil, um, which we started on. Um, yeah. There are alternatives to traditional oil, which the government have acknowledged, but they're not really talking about it too much. So we're part of Offtech, and yeah. uh, we are part of a trial, a winter trial it's taking place as we speak. 15 homes have been fitted um, or rather retrofitted. The boilers are in there already and they have used a type of alternative to kerosene called HVO, which yeah. is hydrogenated vegetable oil. Yeah, yeah. And it's expensive at the moment. It would be because we're only buying, you know, a few thousand litres. But this will burn on zero carbon throughout its whole life cycle. Will it so, really? Yeah, we, we would like to hear government give us some support and come and yeah. view these boilers in operation and, and see that you don't have to go for this 20 grand heat pump uh, in a home which is inappropriate. This isn't a recycled chip fat from your local chip shop, is it? We're not talking about that, are we? We're talking no. about actually producing it as a, a from a raw material, yeah? Yeah, the, the type you described there was had an acronym of FAME, which was something like fatty acid methylated something. I can't remember. That's it, full. yeah, I remember, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, that was all right. It was chip shop oil, uh, fatbergs from underneath the drain systems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but regrettably, some of it was also virgin oil. So people were growing plants uh, mm. and... Uh, for the purposes, ultimately, of burning, which isn't morally right. Mm. Um, HVO is derived from a number of sources. Um, Virgin Atlantic actually have uh, some stock in one of the manufacturers of alternative oils where they're deriving it from things like used car tyres. and oh, really? straw. Yeah, it made straw kernels from the uh, production of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact... Before lockdown, it was November 2019, the first flight from Gatwick to Florida and back uh, on a, with a Virgin Atlantic plane took place, and that was on 100% HVO carbon-free oil. Was it really? I didn't know that. I just imagined sitting in that passenger seat when the pilot comes on and said, we're going to be flying to Florida. And by the way, we're using experimental fuel today. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, isn't it? You know, but um, no, I'm sure they did the trials before they went up there. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, honestly, if you're in the airline business now, you've got to think of somewhere cutting your costs, haven't you? Because oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> again, that's another thing I wouldn't want shares in. 
I've come to the conclusion I don't want shares in anything. <laughs> the future is uncertain. But it's good to hear from you, Martin. Anyway, I think we've covered a few few bases there, haven't we? And uh, given me given me hope for the future, I think, in terms of gas boilers and all those gas fitters out there who are worrying about their future. You're still going to have a job. Absolutely, yes. Cheers. Thanks very much, Martin. Thanks for participating. It's a pleasure. Uh, hopefully talk to you again soon, yeah? Yeah, look after yourself.